All right, so this morning I'm going to be looking at the uh, book of Esther. Uh, if you're following along with our weekly readings, we, we covered that book this last week. Um, I enjoy the book of Esther. I think it's got a lot of, lot of interesting things in it. I really enjoy the dialogue between each of the characters. I mean, it's like you're just reading a movie. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it just once it starts, it just goes. And so I really enjoy it. So there's, so there's three main lessons I want to pull from it. And uh, I hope that they're, that they're, they're just the three things that kind of stood out to me as I was reading through it. And I hope that uh, they're beneficial to you as well. So the other day, uh, I'm out feeding the chickens. All right taking care of my mini farm. For those of you who don't know, I have a goat, 15 chickens, and two dogs. How I got all those animals, I don't know. Okay. People give me free stuff and I just can't ever say no. You know what I'm saying? Why do I need a goat? Well, it sounds like a good idea because it could eat the blackberry briars. You know what I'm saying? It does. But then they tell me that, that, that these goats can live like to 18 years old. So I didn't know that. Okay. So I'm out taking care of my animals. Let me set the stage for you a little bit. It's the middle of my night shifts. Now, I, anybody who's ever been on night shift knows that sometimes you can be a little cranky, okay? And I don't know why, it just kind of everything is just out of balance and I'm just a little cranky, all right? I try to hide it. Sometimes I do pretty good, sometimes I don't, okay? On this particular evening though, we're out there and I'm taking care of the animals. I've taken care of the goat, put him away, fed him, we're moving on to the chickens. Wife decides that the boys need to come out and help me with the chickens. Not a big problem, it's part of their chores. Great, they can come out and help me and usually it's no problem. They'll feed the chickens and whatnot. Well, we don't get off to a good start. The boys start to feed the chickens. Of course, they forget to shut the gate right, so all the chickens get out. Okay, now you have to understand this is all like 25 minutes, 30 minutes before I have to go to work. Okay, so I was in a little bit of a hurry. So all of a sudden, all the chickens are out. Okay, not a huge deal. We let the chickens out before. It just means that Ashley's going to have to come out at dark and shut the, and shut the coop because they'll all go back into roost. It's just you got to put your shoes back on, go back outside and shut the, shut the coop. Okay. So I'm a little irritated, but it's like, okay, we can, we, we can deal with that. It's not my problem. I'm going to work. She can deal with that. Okay. These are her stupid chickens anyway. You know what I'm saying? So we're moving on. We get them fed. We get them watered. We go around to collect the eggs. I open it up. And of course, uh, the, the, the boys start putting the eggs into the bucket, Well, we crack one in the process. Okay. Once again, not usually a big problem because usually we just chunk it off the back of the property. But that's not when the chickens are out, okay? Because what happens if you throw an egg where the chickens are around? Well, of course, they're going to come eat it, okay? And then once they're done eating those, they decide that they like eggs, and they'll start eating the other eggs that are inside my, inside my coop. So I can see this, and it's just a small crack. I'm thinking, fine, we'll just save the egg. We'll just eat it tomorrow. It'll be fine. No. My, my, my boys decide this is one of those times they're going to get in a fight about who gets to throw the egg, okay? And I tell them three times, don't throw the egg. Don't throw the egg. There it goes. And of course, they cannot throw it far enough to clear the back of the property. So it goes about 10 feet and all over the ground. So now I've got another mess to clean up. And at this point now I'm irritated, okay? This should have been a 15 minute, 20 minute, not even a 20 minute project. I should have been done going to work and we're on our way. So at this point, I just send all the boys inside and I'm, I gotta take a moment just to just gather myself, you know? First of all, because they didn't listen. Second of all, because now I gotta go find a shovel, gotta clean up this stupid egg and it just goes from there. You know, if you saw me, you know, I look like when, you know, you know, Ashley catches wind of what's going on. She comes out, gives me a hand. I get myself calmed down. Um, I go in and tell the boys, I'm sorry for yelling, all that good stuff. Get in the car and go to work and life goes on. You know, it wasn't that big a deal, but at that moment it was a pretty big deal. Now what happened? 
did the boys really do anything wrong? No, not necessarily. Okay. Yeah, they didn't listen to me when I said something, but that's nothing new. Okay. They're kids. Dad says something, you know, so that's nothing new. But what they couldn't see is the big picture. Okay. I understood that if they threw the egg. Now, to them, it was just an egg throwing contest. They just wanted to throw the egg. Okay. They're boys. They want to watch it explode. Okay. I get that. Okay. They couldn't see the bigger picture of the chickens being out, the mess that dad was going to have to clean up because he didn't want the chickens eating the egg. And it goes on and on and on. They couldn't see that. They haven't lived long enough to understand that. All they saw was a cracked egg, and by golly, we got to throw it. You know what I'm saying? And whoever gets to it first gets to throw it. You know, that's how it works. Sometimes I feel like we treat God the same way. Okay? Sometimes we have a, a hard time listening and obeying, and we don't always see the bigger picture. Okay? God's got this plan that he's working. He's working things in the background that we don't understand, we can't see, and we're really not going to understand until we get to the other side of heaven. Does that make sense? That's kind of what I see in a big way if you look at the book of Esther. All right? You can see God moving in the background to put Esther in a place where she's going to be able to save her people. And I like to even take it a step further because they were the Jewish people. They were God's people. Okay? And so he put her in a position where he was going to be, where she's going to be able to save her people. Now, let's start breaking that down. Okay? It says in Esther 4, 14. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. For what? For such a time as this. I think that is so key. Okay? Of course, that was our uncle Mordecai that said it. That guy was on point. Okay? But for such a time as this. So let's break it down and kind of look at it. So, so how does this, the, the story of Esther start out? Well, well, we got this king, okay, King Xerxes. He throws this massive party. And if you listen to my podcast, Michael makes all kinds of fun of me because it says, I think it's 180 days or whatever it is, okay? I was supposed to immediately know that was six months. It's like, I didn't do the calculations. I just read what was in the commentary, okay? Give me a break, all right? Six months worth of partying. To show off all his wealth. Is that a lot of wealth? I think so. I don't have that much. We, we could be done with my wealth in about five minutes. You know what I'm saying? There's my truck. Cool. Okay, let's move on. You know what I'm saying? But this guy had six months worth of riches to show off. And he was doing that. Okay? Shows you how powerful and rich and mighty this king was. Okay? So we got this party going on. He ends the whole party with a seven-day banquet. Okay? For all of his nobles and all of his people, once again, showing how rich he was. The party gets going. What does he decide to do? He decides to bring, his, bring the queen, Queen Vashti, out. He wants to show her off. He thinks that she's very beautiful. And I guess she was, according to the Bible. Okay? Of course, what does she say? No, I don't want to go out in front of all your drunken friends. I'm not doing that. Now, apparently, that's not something you can tell the king. Okay? No doesn't work for the king. And so, of course, this infuriates him. He, he gathers his council together and asks them what they should do. They said they should, they, that he should get rid of Queen Vashti because, thinking from their own relationships, they didn't want their wives standing up to them. Cowards. I thought that's what marriage was. My wife tells me what to do all the time or tells me no. You know what I'm saying? Cowards. Okay? 
But this is what happens. So he decides it's a good idea. She gets he gets rid of Queen uh, Queen Vashti. A couple days later, after he's done drinking, he starts to sober up. Okay, realizes it probably wasn't the best idea. Okay, he kind of misses her. So he gets the council together again, and they say, "What? Well, we'll just go out and find you a whole bunch of nut, bunch more beautiful women. You can choose one and make her queen." Of course, why wouldn't the king like that idea? And away they go. Okay, sets the stage for who? Esther. Okay, Esther was one of those girls that was brought in. All right. But it's interesting because if you read about her and, and it says some things about her, first of all, she seems like she's, she's very obedient in the process. Okay. She was just doing what she was needed to do to survive. Okay. You didn't tell the king no. So if, 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 if they came to you and said, hey, you got to go, you got to go. That's just how it worked. But she also listened and obeyed to what her uncle Mordecai said about hiding her background. That's a key piece in what's fixing to happen. Okay. He said, don't tell them that you're Jewish. Okay, keep that part to yourself. And so, and so she does. But there's something about her that creates a good impression on everybody she's around. Okay, which is a lesson there too for Christians. If we're Christians and showing God's love, we should be creating an impression on people. But everybody liked her. Okay, everybody, everybody liked Esther. The people that she was with, the people that were doing the beauty stuff, all of them. They just, they liked Esther. Gets her turn to go before the king. What happens? Of course the king likes her. Okay, she makes an impression on him. Uh, first, of all, she, first of all, he likes the way she looks. Second of all, she's got this attitude, I guess, about her, this impression that she makes that, that he enjoys. Lo and behold, she makes such a big impression that he makes her queen. Okay, so the stage is set. Now, do you think Esther, at any point in that whole thing, knew exactly what was going to happen? Do you think that when she got up that morning, and the, and the soldiers or whoever it is showed up to take her to the palace, that God was that she could see God working in the background of how all this was going to play out and that she was going to be the one to save her people. No, I don't think so. She was just doing what was required of her from day to day. And in the end, God was able to use her to accomplish something very mighty. That is extremely important. Because the same is true for us. Okay? I think sometimes that we're so busy looking and doing what we're doing that we forget to be aware of these moments that God has set aside for us. All right. And sometimes we forget that God can see the bigger picture and sometimes we can't. I mean, the goal of Christian is to join God in what he's doing, not make God join in what we're doing. OK, it doesn't work. All right. So the goal is to be aware and be ready for those moments when they come so that we can join God in what he's doing. Because like I said, there is no way that we're going to be able to see everything that he has working in the background for whatever that moment is when it comes, because we're not supposed to be able to, all right? That would make us God, and that would be a very scary place for you and me, okay? There's a, there's a reason I like having God where he's at and I'm me where I'm at, all right? But he accomplishes the goals. We just have to be willing and ready when those time comes. Now, like I said, I think it's very important to note how, how the obedience was working along this process. Okay? Because when it came to the point where she had to step up and she, and she needed to go before the king to present what was going on, she did. Okay? She obeyed. She, Mordecai says, hey, you got to do this. What does she do? She obeys and she does it. Okay? Obedience is very key. We have to be willing. We have to be ready to obey when those moments come. You know, and, it, and, and this is nothing new. God's been using people throughout the history, throughout the Bible, to accomplish his goals. Okay? I came across something pretty interesting the other day. As I was trying to do some research, trying to find, you know, uh, just trying to find out some other people that God has used through history and, and how he used them in history. 
And I came across this, uh, and I'm not a huge technology guy. That's Michael and Amanda's department. I leave that to them, okay? But I found this, this AI, this thing where you can ask questions, and it gives you answers, all right? And I'm thinking, okay, let's see what it, let, let's see what it can do in the ways of religious questions. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to stump this thing. So I ask it. I said, how does God use people to accomplish his plan? And I was actually pretty amazed at the response that it sent back to me, and I thought it did a pretty good job. It says that the Bible tells us that God uses people to accomplish his purposes. For example, God uses Mo used Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. He used David to defeat Goliath and become king of Israel. He used Paul to spread the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. God can use anyone who is willing to be used by him and who is obedient to his will. Oh, that's a pretty good answer. Kind of wraps it all up right there, right? So those moments are going to come for us. Trust me, David wasn't looking for it when it came to him. Esther wasn't looking for it when it came to him. But when those moments came, they stepped up and they did what was required of them because they understood God had a plan. All right? So what's the next, so what's the next part of this? So these moments come, all right? What are you going to do when that moment comes? I think that's the second lesson that we can learn from Esther, is sometimes you have to have a little boldness, all right? Because could Esther have, in the end, decided not to do what she needed to do? Absolutely. Probably could have had a totally different, different outlook. I do like the way that Mordecai put it. He said that if you don't do it, Somebody else will. Okay? But woe to your family if you don't. Okay? So she decides it's a good thing to do. And she says, gather all the Jews together to be found in Susa. This is in, this is in Esther 4.16. And hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for the next three days or night. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish... I perish. And sometimes that is the ending. Okay? So what do we have going on, and why is this such a big deal? All right. Well, let's, let's do a little more background on Esther here, okay? So she becomes queen. All right? We have this guy named Haman, who I think just takes things way too far. Okay? He takes it from just hating one guy to what? Hating the entire race of Jews just because of the one guy who won't bow to him. Okay, who's Haman? Haman is basically second in command of the king. All right. There's probably no one more powerful than Haman at this point than the king himself. All right. The king trusts Haman. There's at one point in there where he just hands the signet ring to Haman and says, yep, do whatever you need to do. That's a lot of trust. Okay. But then again, at some point, Haman was probably pretty good at his job. I doubt that he had done a whole lot of, lot of uh, sneaky stuff up until that point. But what do we have going on? Well, we have Haman. He's been promoted. He wants everybody to know he's this powerful person, so he wants everybody to bow down before him. Except for one guy. Which guy? Mordecai. He won't do it. He decides that he just can't do that, and he's not going to bow before Haman. Haman's fine with that, right? No. No. And like I said, because this one guy won't bow to him, therefore he can't just get rid of the one guy He's got to get rid of all the Jews. Now, Haman's kind of sneaky. He goes to the king, gets him to sign this edict. He doesn't really tell him that it's the Jews. He just says that there's these people that are causing problems. Okay? 
So what does the king say? Well, that sounds like it's good to me. Here's the ring here. Sign it all in and away we go. So at one, there's going to be one day coming up where they, where everybody's going to be able to go out and just wipe out all of the Jews. That's what was going to happen because they were considered the problem people. Mordecai gets wind of this. Okay. He understands this plot. He goes into mourning. He gets in contact with Esther, says, Esther, you got to help us out. That's when he tells her what? If you don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. And who knows that maybe you have been put in this place for this time. Esther seems a little bit reluctant at the beginning. But then she kind of begins the process to understand that this is probably what she was here to do. And so she goes before the king. King, of course, does want to see her. So we made the first hurdle. Then she has a couple of banquets, lays out the whole plan of what Haman's trying to do. And the king is just okay with it, right? No, he's not okay. And he ends up impaling Haman on the same pole that he created to impale Mordecai. Like I said, there's so many cool things that work in the story. All right? And I also like the fact that, you know, in that last transaction between uh, the king, Haman, and the queen, you know, Haman's begging for his life. And the king walks back in. And of course, he's still angry. And basically, he's asking, what, do you, what should I do with him? And they got this servant guy in the back that says, hey, Haman made this pole. I think he was going to impale somebody on it. How about you use that? And the king's like, sure, sounds good to me. Let's do it. Well, what did Haman do to that guy? You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's just so many cool things in this story. And then also to the fact that this pole that he made to impale Mordecai was like 72, 75 feet high. That's just excessive. I mean, at 75 feet, can you even tell who's up there? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, think, I think Haman has some issues. All right. But to bring it all down, like I said, Esther is, is just a fun story. Okay, and I could talk about it for hours because I just, I, there's so many cool things. But when the time came, she made the choice to go before the king, even though it could mean that she was going to perish. And she understood that, but she understood that that was her calling and her job to do. And she did it, explained what was going on, and saved her people. Now, I would say that Esther was one of the few that was actually lucky. Because if you look at other people in the Bible who have spoke out, showed that boldness, spoke the truth, what happened? They didn't live. The first one that comes to my mind, of course, is Stephen. Okay, he starts speaking out against the religious, the religious council. What happens to him? They stone him. And when the apostles, many of the apostles spoke out against the religious council about the truth, what happened to them? Well, eventually, they, most of them died. They killed most of them. But in the process, they beat and they tortured many of them. Okay, so sometimes we have to understand that we have to step out in boldness, even if we even if we understand it might it might it might take our life. Why? Because that's what God's called us to do, because you don't know what's going to happen after that point. Let's take the Stephen one, for example, because of the stoning of Stephen, who was standing right there? Paul. One of the greatest missionaries of that time. Okay. We can't always see the bigger picture. But when those moments come, we have to be ready to step out in boldness and do it. Let me give you a few verses, okay? Because the Bible says lots of things about having, having boldness and not being of fear. It says in Proverbs 28.1, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Okay? That's pretty bold. 
2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. We are not supposed to be afraid. Okay? Because ultimately, even if it is that it costs us our life, who really wins? We do, right? Because I know where I'm going. And as far as I can tell from what I can read in the Bible, up there's a lot better place than it is down here. Okay? But we have to have the boldness to speak out when the time comes. I think a lot of times we're afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing, that we're going to draw attention to ourselves, and so we just avoid saying the things that need to be said. My, my wife, I love her to death, okay? I've been with her almost 10 years, all right? But she's one of those that hates attention drawn to her, okay? Matter of fact, if you looked at her right now, she's probably turning red. Okay, because I used her name. <laughs> but the reason I use her is because she realizes that at some point she needs to be more forward with her Christianity and things like that. What do I mean? Well, the other day she goes to the dollar to the to the uh, dollar tree down here, and the kids are walking down the the Halloween aisle. And of course, my kids start in right in from the fact that you know Halloween is straight from the pit of hell. Blah 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 blah, and they're just going at it. You've never seen an aisle clear so fast in your life. <laughs> okay. And of course, my wife's like, shh, 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 shh. but then she got to thinking about it and she says, and she was thinking to herself, why? I've taught these kids these, these things. Why am I shushing them? So she just let them talk. You know what I'm saying? And lo and behold, guess what? They had that whole aisle for quite some time. Okay. Oh, but it isn't in there. Same store, same time. She's headed to the checkout stand. My youngest one, Zachariah, is singing, uh, what's that song? Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back. And he's singing, that's all he knows of that song. <laughs> Just that Jesus is coming back. And we say it over and over and over and over. And he sings it to the top of his lung. Just like that, okay? And I love it, because Jesus is coming back. But once again, as they're standing there in the, in, in the cashier uh, lane, she's trying to shh, because she doesn't want to offend anybody around her. But then once again, she realizes, you know what? I've been teaching him these things. Why shush him? So she just let him sing. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure that cash register lady was so fast. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Boldness is key. Because the truth is, I don't know what effect my boys had on somebody else in that store because of what they said. All right? Sometimes we need to show the same kind of boldness and say the things that need to be said. Especially, like with Esther, when those moment, can, moment came, she stood up and did what was required of her. Okay? You don't know the moments God has for you. But you got to be ready, and you got to have the boldness to step into those. All right? I mean, Esther is just such a, a great example. All right. Like I said, now there were three things I wanted you to pull from Esther. We talked about two of them. One is you can't see God's, God's overall plan, in which I'm very grateful for that. Okay, we just have to try to join him and see what he's doing. Second of all, we've got to have the boldness to step out and do what is required of us. Thirdly, I think there is a huge lesson here on bitterness. Okay, of all the characters in this story, Haman has a bad case of bitterness. All right, he is bitter against who? Mordecai and then the Jews. Okay, if you read there in Esther 5.13, this is Haman talking. He says, Yet all of this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. 
if you back up a little bit in that verse, it says that Haman was having this great day. He was in good spirits. As soon as he walked by the king's gate and saw Mordecai there, what happened? He was full of rage. Completely destroyed his day. Because of who? One man. All right? One man. And I think it's interesting that that one man caused him to hate what? All of the Jews. Now, that doesn't sound like anything that goes on today, does it? Hmm? Hmm? You see, the kind of, you see this kind of stuff all the time. Okay? We managed to find one bad cop, and so therefore what? All cops are bad. Okay? It happens all the time. And we have to be careful because we'll let that bitterness sink in and completely eat us away. Now, bitterness is extremely dangerous. Because if you look at it, it has not only uh, side effects mentally, but physically as well. So, I did a little research to try to figure out some of those side effects that bitterness has. It says that bitterness can cause immune problems, physiological problems, organ problems, metabolism problems, and that was only half the list. It goes on and on and on. Okay? Bitterness is something that we do not want in our life. We have to make sure that we give that up. All right? If you look at the Bible, there is verse after verse after verse that talks about bitterness. Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Let all bitterness. Hebrews 12.15, see, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. James 3.14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. Romans 12, 19. Never avenge yourselves, believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. All of those have to deal with bitterness. And, we're, and I understand that letting go of bitterness can be very, very difficult. But if Haman is not a point in case for where bitterness can get you, I don't know what else is. Okay? He let this bitterness from Mordecai eat him alive, destroy his life. He had it all. Haman had it all. Second to the king, riches, power that we probably can't even possibly understand. And he gave it all up because why? Because of bitterness towards that one man. And in the end, it not only cost him his life, but if you keep reading, it cost him the lives of his family, his sons, and so forth. Because who did the Jews go after after the king made a new edict, edict saying that they could protect themselves? They went after those guys and got them all. Impaled them the same way that they impaled Haman. Okay? Bitterness never turns out good. We have to be sure that we let that bitterness go. And I understand something about bitterness. Uh, there was there was one point in our life where we had some things done to my family. Uh, one of my sisters was molested when she was younger, and uh, the guy who did it was was who I considered at that time to be one of my best friends. Okay, so there was a lot of betrayal felt there, and there was some bitterness towards him. Okay, mostly because I thought that he was my friend, in instance, and for instance, he wasn't. All he was trying to do was trying to do those things with my sister. Okay, now I know that sounds terrible, and it is terrible. Okay, but it took me a while to let go of that bitterness 
to where I could actually look at that person and understand that God is going to take care of his punishment somewhere further down the line. Okay? I didn't have to worry about it. God's got it. Now, that can be easier said than done. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that all bitterness comes from something somebody else did to us. I also know people who can be bitter at God because of the circumstances that they're in. Now, I understand that sometimes life isn't fair. And we have to deal with things that we don't, we don't want to. Um, if, you look at the, if you look at Naomi in the book of Ruth, uh, it says that she was bitter. Why? Because she had lost her husband, she lost her son, and basically she lost everything. Okay? But if you read the story of Ruth, the thing that you kind of see coming out is that through Ruth's kindness and her love for the Lord, what kind of happens? She kind of starts to break Naomi down again. Okay? We got to let that bitterness go. We just got to let it go. All right? Because what is the opposite of, of, of bitterness? Forgiveness, right? Because a lot of times the bitterness goes along with the forgiveness. And if we can forgive, then that bitterness disappears. Now, like I said, it's easier said than done. But if Jesus can forgive us for hanging him on a cross we should be able to forgive in the same way for other people, right? Right? Because forgiveness is an attribute of God. Therefore, it should be an attribute of Christians because we're made in God's image, okay? So forgiveness should be a huge part of our life. So let the bitterness go and let that forgiveness take place. All right. Let's wrap it up, bring it together. First thing, God's got a plan. We don't always know what it is, but we got to be ready for it. Okay? Esther, prime example of that. She was put in a place, probably not of her choosing, but she was there and God used her. What can God use you for? Are you even looking around to see? Okay? That's where it gets me sometimes. Sometimes I'm so busy doing whatever I'm doing, I don't look around to see if the moment passed by. I'm like Captain Jack Sparrow. I love to watch those moments as they walk by. You know what I'm saying? Okay? So we got to be aware of those moments when they come. Second of all, we got to have the boldness to step into those when they do come. All right? Not to shy away. Not to turn and walk away. But say, yes, Lord, I understand, and you do it. Lastly, don't let bitterness destroy you. We don't want to be like Haman. We don't want to be, we don't want that rage. We don't want that anger. We just need to let it go and start forgiving. All right? Does it make sense? And like I said, I can't encourage you enough, enough. If you haven't read the story of Esther, go back and read it. Okay? I mean, it, the dialogue between the characters in the story, between the king, between Haman, Esther, Mordecai, it is fantastic. Okay? And, I, and I left out the part where Haman had to honor Mordecai. I love that whole scenario. Okay? The king can't sleep. So he starts reading the records, realizes that Mordecai saved the king's life at one point. All right? He says, but we didn't do anything for him. Calls in Haman. Says, what's your idea for honoring somebody? Of course, what does Haman think? It was him. Okay? So he lays out all this really cool stuff that he thought would be really cool for him to do. And the king's like, I like it. Do it for Mordecai. You know that had to burn Haman up, okay? But Haman did it, of course. And, of course, then afterwards it says that he covered his head and ran home. You know what I'm saying? Great story, great book. 
the boldness that she showed, the, the things that God's working in the background, and the way that bitterness can destroy your life just radiates to me through that story. Read it. Okay? Just read it. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. As you go this week, just remember to look for those moments, be bold, and let the bitterness go. All right? If you feel like you're angry and mad all the time, you might take a moment just to look to see if maybe there's some bitterness you're hanging on to that you don't even know you are. Okay? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunities to look at people like Esther, Lord, that just show us so many wonderful things, Lord. And I'm sure there are many more lessons there that we, I didn't even touch on. But those are the ones that stood out to me, Lord. And those are the ones that encouraged me to know that uh, i got to be looking, i got to have boldness, and i got to let some things go sometimes, Lord. So, Lord, just make that permanent in our lives, especially as we start a new week, Lord, that we'll be looking for those moments. Lord, uh, just take us and make us your vessels. Lord, and if there's something that needs to be said, Lord, I just pray we say it, even if it will offend. Lord, we are your people. We want to be your tools. We want to be used by you. Don't let us let those moments pass away. Lord, thank you for everything you do for us, the forgiveness that you've given us. Lord, help us to transfer that forgiveness to other people. Lord, you are amazing, and you are the reason for what we do. In Jesus' name, amen.